And uh, we're here in this family series uh, continuing, and today we're talking about what I would call a quiet epidemic that is silently reshaping the families of our, of our, and our children and our society. Uh, and it is this invasion of screens, uh, social media, and technology that is essentially in our space and in our face 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, it is everywhere. It is accessed all the time. Uh, we haven't really begun to understand the long-lasting impact on basic culture and the way that we think and the way that we live. It may be 100 years until we come to understand the revolution that the last 15 years has been in, uh, in our society. Now, uh, I could ask you, why is this? Or if I was, a better example would be to say, if you all took your phones out and turned them off right now, some of you would get fidgety, right? You'd start to worry that maybe somebody had sent you something and you didn't know about it, or something happened in some little country and somewhere in the world and you didn't have instant access to that information. There's a condition that is called FOMO. Okay, FOMO. It stands for fear of missing out. Okay, and it's a real mental condition. And behind this drives a lot of the incessant clicking and the ongoing surfing or that thing that you can do when you get on Facebook and you just keep sliding and sliding and sliding and sliding. And you can spend a lot of time just surfing through social media and why, why is that? What are, what are we doing? Well, we have a fear of missing out. Our society today, this picture, I think, summarizes it quite well. Sometimes the screens don't work right. There we go. All right. The subject is massive, okay? And I'm only touching on some of the what I would consider the highlights and the most helpful things. And I'm going to make some suggestions today about your personal practice and involvement in uh, technology. And I know full well that you might feel convicted right now, uh, and maybe you'll make changes through the rest of the day. But unless we are convinced that there is a life that is better than the one that we're currently living, no matter how digitally connected we are, by Wednesday, we'll be right back to face crack and zombie land, okay? So I want to convince you that the digital life is not the best life. The digitally consumed and obsessed life is not the best life. And I can point biblically to this by just simply talking about what are we supposed to be obsessed with as human beings? What should be like the most important things to us? Because we have an example of what human life was intended to be. If we go back to Genesis chapters uh, one and two and the creation of Adam and Eve and their life that they had prior to the fall, that is human flourishing. God looked at Adam and Eve and 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 said, it's very good. And the life they lived was the best life that, that any human beings could ever have. And I hasten to 
show you that there was nothing digital in their experience. Now that is not to say that there wasn't any technology. Because what is technology? Technology is human beings taking the raw materials of this world that God made and adapting them and using them in order to fulfill the creation mandate of Genesis 1.28, which is that we are to multiply and that we are to subdue the earth. Okay, fill and subdue the earth. Technology is mankind subduing the earth. So we have wonderfully air conditioning and today we have heat and we, uh, we have electricity and we have lights and we have, we're wearing clothing that shapes to our body and I'm wearing glasses that helps me see and we have all of these evidences of mankind engineering God's basic raw materials and using them to improve the quality of life, to meet some basic need and the Bible is far from being anti-technology. In fact, the Bible itself is an expression of technology. The Bible was written with ink and papyrus and was transcribed and was communicated uh, you know, via Roman roads and we have it here bound together in the canon of scripture. It is itself an expression of technology. So Christianity is not anti-technology and the Bible isn't anti-technology, but like anything that is good, if it becomes ultimate, now it becomes an idol. Now it becomes detrimental. Our idols are terrible slave masters. And so as we come to this issue of, of technology, uh, how do we view screens and smartphones and constant connectivity related to human flourishing and the life that God intended us to live? And I'm uh, this is probably the least expositional message I've ever given in this church. I'll just tell you that right now. But just to highlight one biblical truth to build this uh, message on, a scholar, a first century scholar came to Jesus and asked him one of the hot issues of the day. He said, which of the commands is the greatest command? Okay, and this was a big debate about all these Old Testament commands, which of them was the most important one. Jesus answers, it seems very simply, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The best life that you can experience, the happiest, most meaningful, most flourishing, most fulfilling, most significant, is a life that is doing those two commands really, really well. That your heart is for God. You are loving God with all that you are, with everything in your heart. And you are expressing that love in horizontal relationships with other people. You are loving your neighbor as yourself. Adam and Eve experienced prior to the fall that perfect love vertically and horizontally. It was the happiest human beings that have ever lived were Adam and Eve prior to the fall. So if we're to obsess about anything, is there, if there's anything that we're to be like really focused on, it ought to be cultivating that love for God and cultivating that love for neighbor. Now a reason that this is a challenge is that in saying that, we are also saying then that anything that gets in the way of what allows me to flourish as a human being is something that needs to be moderated or maybe eliminated. Agreed? Okay. So if, if, I, if, if the, the greatest life that I can live, I got something that's dragging me down, 
that's keeping me from that, well, then I need to do something about that. And with technology, the reason that this is a challenge is that it is not inherently wrong. And superficial, sort of spiritually immature people can only argue about things whether they're right or they're wrong, okay? So like a young person, that oftentimes you'll have that. Right? Is it right or is it wrong? That's the only category that they have. And yet the Bible is filled with, and most of the Christian life requires living according to wisdom. And wisdom is the ability to practically live out our faith and to practically live out our Christianity and to see what is really important and to live for those things and to see what is not important and to not live for those things and to see things that are getting in the way of me living for that thing by distraction or detraction and to moderate and or eliminate them. And technology is that kind of thing for us. I'm not giving a message about whether a Christian can own a smartphone, okay? This is mine right here. The Bible is not anti-technology, and I don't think we should be anti-technology either. But we need to be wise. We need to be wise. And the lack of wisdom as it relates to social media and specifically mobile devices and um, you know, this kind of technology is that it is incredibly addictive. The average smartphone owner checks their phone every 4.3 minutes, okay? Once every 4.3 minutes of their waking hours. That is 81,500 times a year. If there's something in your life that you're doing 81,500 times a year, then that had better be something that is really adding to your human flourishing and your happiness and your joy. Why are we that way? Like, I'm not checking my elbow 81,500 times a day. It's still there. Still there. Why is it these other technological uh, devices that that do that, what lies behind it. And I want to encourage you to see this issue and in society that this is not amoral, that these are, these are indicators of deeper spiritual realities that have always been true of human beings and that the, the, the relationship that we have with our smartphone and devices is a reflection of this age-old ancient brokenness. Here is uh, Pascal along with Tony Renke. Pascal, ancient theologian, okay? If you, quote, take away their diversion, speaking of human beings, you will see them dried up with weariness because it is to be ushered into unhappiness as soon as we are reduced to thinking of self and have no diversion. Renke adds, Pascal's point is a perennial fact. The human appetite for distraction is high in every age because distractions give us easy uh, escape from the silence and solitude whereby we, might, we become acquainted with our finitude, our inescapable mortality, and the distance of God from all our desires, hopes, and pleasures. Okay? We have to be distracted lest we think about eternal realities, lest thoughts that image bearers can think come to our hearts and minds and 
ultimately depress us. We want to be distracted from it. So in a small way, every mindless check of the phone is a image bearer searching for something, hoping for something, looking for something, something to fill an unrecognized void that a sinner has in their hearts. So if, if you see, if you go to a restaurant and you see a family, and I'm sure you've seen this, here's a family of five, and they're at the table at the restaurant to have a nice dinner together. And all five of them are staring at their phone. You've seen this, right? But do you see it theologically? What is really going on in that? Or a, a, a busload of teenagers that are on their way home from school, and all of the kids are on their phones, maybe texting the person next to them. <laughs> Can you see that theologically? Something is going on. A dad at the park engrossed in his phone while his children play at his feet. If I could quote the eternal words of you two, we still haven't found what we're looking for. And every click, search, mindless sort of hoping that somebody from somewhere would send something to me that might somehow make me happy, that might somehow meet the longing of my heart, is the same thing human beings have struggled with ever since Genesis 3. Think about every unveiling in September of the new iPhone and what that experience is like. Not that different than probably what was going on at the temple to Diana in, in, in Ephesus, right? The people gather. There's tons of excitement, right? It's the new iPhone. All the world is focused in on it. All the attention, all the spotlights, and, you know, the, all the... And then, like, all of a sudden, there's the unveiling. And what is everybody... Oh, oh, oh! Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Tony Ranke in his book asks questions about our smartphone use. Amongst them are these. Do my smartphone habits expose an underlying addiction to untimely amusements? Do my smartphone habits reveal a compulsive desire to be seen and affirmed? Specifically social media. Do my smartphone habits distract me from genuine communion with God? Do my smartphone habits preoccupy me with the, with the pursuit of worldly success? Are my, are my thoughts on things above or are my thoughts on things below? Do my smartphone habits disengage me from the needs of the neighbors God has placed right in front of me? Okay. Image bearers with the latest technology. Have you ever noticed if there's five people in a room and one person goes and checks their phone, what do the other four do? Almost, it's, it's, it's in, in, I read this somewhere, it's like the old yawn. One person yawns, everybody yawns. One person checks their phone, oh. I got nothing either, you know. <laughs> I 
So how should we approach these latest expressions of human ingenuity and technological wizardry? I have some helps for the digitally drowning family. Number one, you must predetermine your family's technology culture. You must predetermine your, techno- your family's technology culture. And the reason that I say predetermine is that if you do not set it, you will allow Zuckerberg and Tim Cook to set the culture of your home. And they are so good at what they do design and create that you and your children will be unable to have a healthy relationship with your phone and one another unless you get ahead of it and say, this is what we're doing. Now, much of what I'm sharing here today comes from two books. And I put them up here. I'd encourage both of them to, to, both of these are great. Tony Reinke, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You, and the TechWise Family by Andy Crouch. So convicting to read these, and I've been convicted myself. I want you to know as I talk about this, I'm seeing things in my own life that I want to change, and I'm making steps to change. But we have to realize that these things are designed, they, they are by design addictive. To step into a, to the technological world is essentially like going to a casino, Only at a casino, you know everything here is designed to capture my attention. The blinking lights and the sound and the way they design the casino, it's all there to milk you out of money. And there are reasons that these guys are all becoming billionaires because they have figured out a way to capture the attention of children and adults and to monetize that and to become the richest, some of the richest people who have ever lived. It is because it is by design attention addictive. And when it comes to the family then, you have to get ahead of it. You have to decide in your home, this is the way that it's going to be. This is going to be our relationship with technology Crouch says this uh, regarding the cultural issue of the home. Three choices that are especially fundamental. The first and deepest is to choose character. What are you trying to accomplish in your home? Choose character. To make the mission of our family for children and adults alike the cultivation of wisdom and courage. Okay, wisdom is, yes, gaining knowledge, but knowing what to do with knowledge. Courage is... The, is learning to explore and to discover and to have adventure and for this to be the adventure of the mind and the heart. And none of these qualities are developed by passive participation in a screen, whether that be a phone, an iPad, or a television. So nothing that you're really wanting to cultivate with your family and your children are accomplished by your family spending time in front of a screen. So therefore, if I go back to love God, love people, and getting rid of anything that might get in the way of that, should we not at least consider that this is not always a helpful thing in a family? And especially considering the addictive nature of it, wow, do we need to be careful? Parents, your child, and by child I mean 
all the way through teenagers, and teenagers, forgive me for this, but they are not mature enough to have a healthy relationship with a screen. They're, they're, just, they're not better than Zuckerberg. They're, they're, not, they're not better and smarter than the thousand engineers that were 4.0 at Purdue that are constantly trying to design things to capture their attention and to suck them in. Okay? They just can't do it. They can't do it. Again, there's a reason these guys are becoming billionaires. My daughters, I think they were like around 18 months old, I was amazed at how good they were on the iPad. Like, we're, we haven't even potty trained them, and they're like redesigning things on the screen. Like, why is that? It's that way by design. So simple, so accessible. So I would say this, parents, buying a smartphone for your child, no matter their age, is likely the most significant parenting decision that you are going to make in their whole childhood. It is filled with consequences it is something that is perilous in many respects. That is a massive decision that should not be taken lightly. Crouch adds, adds, asks this question. We only get one life to live. Wouldn't it be better, spending, uh, better spent enjoying and serving the world God made rather than a glowing screen? So we got to get a hold of a technology before the technology gets a hold of you. And I'm going to guess there's a lot of families here. The technology is soundly a hold of you. And you parents right now are thinking to yourself, I don't know if I want to fight this battle with my kid. You're already worried about the drive home. Well, what are we going to do now about this? Thanks, Pastor Steve. <laughs> well, here are some little tips, okay? Little tips. There's more online if you want to read it. Wait, did I say that? Uh, this is one I just, I, I bought this so I could show you. This is called uh, Circle, ironically, by Disney. <laughs> but uh, this is Circle Home. And it connects to your router, and you can manage everything about the data in your home through this device. Who gets what, what apps are used, time that data is available and not, monitor everything, a very nice parenting help. It's like 80 bucks on Amazon. There's a lot of things uh, uh, available that you can do to manage things and limit things and exercise discipline. I would encourage you to do that. But get a hold of your culture. That might mean a family powwow or two coming up here to get it back under control. I'm guessing it's out of control in a lot of homes in our church. Number two, you must practice digital Sabbaths to fight the addiction. Okay. Andy Crouch, again, the discipline here is committing to this simple rule. The screen stays off and blank unless we are using it together and for a specific creative purpose. To, to, to look at your home and to say, individual family members focused on their little device is not the family that we want. And to have this day after day, week after week, where we are increasingly isolated into our bedrooms, into the corners of these rooms, or maybe sitting two feet away from each other but not communicating at all because we are in zombie land, is not the family we want. I don't want to be on my deathbed and look back and think, wow, we had a lot of pixels in our family, but not a lot of talking and not a lot of fun. 
Not a lot of love. So to fight this addiction, it is, and this is hard, but it is the exercising of discipline and self-control, which a Sabbath kind of forces on you, okay? A Sabbath is an intentional time away from our devices and our televisions. Here is Andy Crouch's, this is what his family does. One hour a day, one day a week, one week a year. We turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. Doesn't that sound nice for a family? Feasting, worshiping, playing, resting. That sounds like a really great family, not this, right? Don't settle, okay? Don't settle for this being your family. And I'll just tell you, if you are averse to what I'm saying right now and you're like, it's probably because you have a problem. There is an idol in your heart and in your home, and I'm putting my finger on it right now, and your aversion to it indicates. The more you're averse to what I'm saying right now, the more I would say likely you have a problem. It needs to be dealt with. Do digital Sabbaths. Sabbaths. Number three. You must determine to live present in the home and interpersonally, okay, interpersonally. The vortex of media and passive engagement creates these superficial relationships, okay. Online relationships are superficial by definition. But when when your Facebook friend model is your actual friend model, you have incredibly superficial relationships. And that's the society that we're moving towards right now. That's how people can sit in the same room and rather than speak, they text each other. That kind of thing is like common now, but that is not the way that God intended human beings to relate. And we are settling for something much less than the best. There's a whole movement right now away from smart devices, okay? Lots of people that have had the latest, greatest phones and such are going back to the old flip phone. Why? Because I want to get my life back. I want to get my brain back. I want to get my time back. Maybe you should consider that. Okay? You'd be the, that geeky weirdo with the flip phone. Okay? Now, there are ways to do this without throwing your $800 phone away. Uh, you can dumb down your smartphone. Did you know that? Dumb your smartphone down. You want a dumb phone. Maybe that's how I should say it. (laughs) Be smart enough to have a dumb phone. You can dumb your, your smartphone down, and I don't have time to get into all of the little settings and things, but do not disturb is a really good one. I read this this week, and they suggested going to grayscale. Maybe you can see that. I've been doing that the last couple days, going to grayscale. Just to, You want to make it less attractive and, like, addicting. So whatever you can do to do that is good. Okay? I would encourage you in your life, please turn off all the notifications, the beeping, the, you know, the boop, 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 boop. I read a stat. It takes 23 minutes for your brain to get back into whatever you're doing when it's distracted. Okay? You cannot multitask. If you have a smart watch, that may not be so smart. 
do you really need another phone on your wrist, okay? I would encourage you, donate it to More and Better Initiative. We'll sell it. <laughs> and go buy a Mickey Mouse watch. It might transform your life. There are apps, I hardly have any time for this, but there's apps like Freedom, which uh, can control usage and lots of different things. But if we're ever going to be human, as God intended, we can't be digitally distracted all the time. That's not the way that God intended us to be. Be present with people. Have your minds engaged in conversation with other people. Psalm 1 says, the righteous man meditates on the word day and night. That is very hard to do with an iPhone nearby. That's the righteous man. If we were as interested in seeing what God's, I don't have time for this, but, you know, if, if for every time that we're doing this, we were doing this, think of how godly we would be, right? All right, quickly now. Andy Crouch's book, he has family commitments. These are so fantastic. I'm just going to walk through them. Number one, we develop wisdom and courage together as a family. That's what we're about. Number two, we want to create more than we consume, so we fill the center of our home with things that reward skill and active engagement. He says in there, find the center of your house. Every house has kind of like the heart of the house. Find that place and make that like a screen-free zone and fill it rather with books and music and, and art opportunities and things that allow sort of enrichment and the mind and the heart and the soul, not the screen. This one I already read, we are designed for a rhythm of work and rest, so one hour a day, one day a week, and one week a year, we turn off our devices and worship, feast, play, and rest together. Number four, we wake up before our devices do, and they go to bed before we do. How many of us check our phones within the first five minutes, don't raise your hand, within the first five minutes of waking up? I'm going to say probably most people here. And in those first five, you're just waking up, first five minutes, what are you assaulted with? Every rape... Every murder, every terrible thing that happened in some country you never heard of, the tsunami of this, the political thing of that, we are assaulted instantly with these attention-grabbing and soul-shrinking news items, and then we spend the rest of the day in zombie land. And Crouch says, wake up before your phone wakes up. And he says, go to the coffee maker and just smell and Open the front door and just breathe. Not in the winter, okay, but the other two months of the year that we get, breathe. <laughs> in other words, be human before you're digital. Be human before you're connected. And go to, have them go to bed before you do. I want to ask how many people take their phones to bed with them, but I would say, and this is in the book, that's a bad idea, okay? That's a bad idea. Put your phone in another room. Make it go to sleep long before you do. Couples that lay in bed, it's probably not so good laying in bed, just flipping through, looking around, poking around. That bed was made for something different than that, okay? So go to bed. Have them go to bed before you do. One thing we just started doing, Jennifer's in the front row here, we just uh, we got a, a Bluetooth phone that connects to our phone, and we can have that in our bedroom, and it means that we can have the phones in a different room, and we get, still get the emergency call at night, which you want to have, a, I think, should probably have that. So that's what we did, and, you know, there's things like that. Think about it. Strategize on this. You want nothing to get in the way of 
flourishing as a family. Parents, do not let your children, and I mean that till they're off on their own, do not let them have a device in their bedroom alone ever, period, zip, zero. There is too much porn, there are too many perverts, there's too many predators for that ever to be a good idea. And teenagers right now that are mad at me for saying it, I don't care, okay? I don't care. I was a conscientious 16-year-old Christian boy already thinking about ministry and teaching at other youth groups. And if I would have been able to have porn in my room, quietly on my phone when I was 16 years old, I don't know that I could have not done that, okay? Now, you might be the next Billy Graham, and if so, please come up here and start preaching right now. Otherwise, no devices in the bedroom. Not a good idea, okay? Number five, we aim for no secrets before double digits, no screens, no screens before double digits at school and at home. This is Crouch, he said, 10, double digits, 10. They waited until their 10-year-old, their youngest was 10 before they bought their first television, just as a precaution. It's ironic. When Steve Jobs unveiled the first iPhone, he refused to let his kids look at them because he thought it would be damaging to them. And then made billions off of everybody else's kids. Number six, we use screens for a purpose and we use them together rather than using them aimlessly and alone. Culture. Is it acceptable for somebody in your family to just be off on their own, doing their own thing, staring at their own screen, kind of in a sort of isolation? That's not family, okay? Number seven, car time is conversation time. No screens. How many families drove to church today? All the kids in the back on their, thing, on their devices, nobody talking, nobody singing, okay? You want that to be conversation time. Those are some of the best times, aren't they? Riding in the car together, talking. Number eight, spouses have one another's passwords and parents have total access to children's devices. That is a no-brainer. And if your child protests, it means he or she has a problem and they're trying to hide something. If your spouse protests, it means they have a problem and they're trying to hide something. And the principle is nothing to hide, nothing to fear. And so, hey, anything you want, and parents especially, you need to know what your kids are looking at and who's communicating with them. I know they've got disappearing communication now, which by definition is for secrecy and hiding, okay? Which that never was invented. But do your best to know, and you need to have access to everything. And if they protest, take the phone away. And if they really protest, take a hammer and just go, bam! They'll get the point, okay? They'll get the point. Now, that's a lot of information, and my time is up. But I, I hope just rolling through this creates a little sense of urgency with you. That, you know what, this is an area of my life, maybe, that I have not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I've never even thought about submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced most of us have just kind of gone along with the culture. This is kind of the thing that you do. You get this, you buy that, you sort of do this thing. And to never really pause and say, how can I glorify God with my use of technology. How can I have a healthy relationship where I use it, but I don't worship it, okay? I use it, but I, I don't have to have it. How can I have a healthy relationship with technology? Because a healthy relationship is a wonderful, wonderful blessing. John Piper uh, was in an interview, and, and, and he, he looked at his, he has a, a computer, he has 
an iPad and he has an iPhone, and he said he, he's moved to tears to think about how God has allowed these tools to, uh, to be a blessing to him and for him to glorify God with them. Okay? If you can cry over your phone because it's allowed you to glorify God more, then that's probably a healthy relationship. Okay? Let's strive for that. Okay? Let's strive for that. And not a life dominated by pixels or, frankly, anything else. So let's love God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our phones.